Hello and welcome to the Parental Recovery Podcast, featuring your hosts Matthew and Claudia Whitaker. Welcome back to the Parental Recovery Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I am Matthew, and I'm here joined with my lovely and talented wife, Claudia Whitaker. I am super excited for today's episode. We get to talk about you. Cool. And all the things that make you wonderful and special. And we get to look at your journey through recovery and just your overall life journey and all of the things that you've been through, all of the things that you have accomplished and what you're doing now. Yeah, definitely. And all the stuff that like got me to where we are now, which is like trying to help other people through all this stuff that you and I have been through together. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm a little nervous. I feel like I'm going to do a share at AA meeting. Um, but I keep trying to remind myself that in my story, I think people can see a lot of the stuff that I've gone through or been through or overcome and hopefully give them some kind of inspiration to like keep moving. That's not the end of the world. Cause I think there was many times where I thought my world was ending, but it didn't keep going. And I'm in a good place now, so. All right. I have heard you share at meetings, and <laughs> I know uh, getting up in front of people or even talking on this podcast can be nerving. Uh, sorry, nerve-wracking. But um, your message is powerful. Your story is great. So uh, let's start with what got you. Uh, let's see. What are you most proud of? In my life, or what do you mean? In your life, in recovery, in parenting. Um, I mean, I'm most proud of my kids. And just, like, knowing that you and I have a huge part in the fact that they're thriving. Because I think for a long time, in different stages of their lives, we weren't sure if we were doing the right thing, if it was going well, if they were going to be fucked up down the line or so knowing that they're all doing really well, thriving and, you know, they're not perfect kids. I mean, nobody is and they're doing their best and we're doing our best to support them in all their endeavors. So whether it's, you know, their mental health or their extracurricular activities, we're always there for them. So I'm super proud of the mom that I've become because I literally thought I was a shit mom. So um that and obviously like our relationship i think our marriage is pretty fucking solid and i think we're pretty lucky to have what we have in each other and like what we've built like for a long time i used to just think like well we're just meant to be of course it's so easy and stuff but then like life hits and then it's not all easy and we really make an effort to work through all the stuff but at the end of the day like we love each other to no end so having that as like a base and having that as like a starting point for any relationship like struggle that we could have like knowing that we love each other i know that we can get through like anything and you're my best friend so. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, definitely helps the the love and the friendship and those things came easy in the beginning yeah. um we fell in love pretty fast and made things work and our family came together and we moved forward but um where were you at when the second time we dated? Because we dated 
one time before mm-hmm. for a short period of time and then we found each other again. Where were you at in life when we got together the second time? Um, so let's see, that was like 2017. 17, yeah. Um, I had just left an abusive relationship. So that had lasted on and off for about four years. Um, I didn't realize it was abusive until I was like leaving it. Um, so I've been struggling for a long time for like the last four years. It was interesting because I had such a like resentment towards that situation for many, many years because I felt like I was finally doing good in my life before that happened. Like I just felt like entering that relationship just derailed my entire life. Because I was going to school, you know, I was a single mom. Me and my son's dad had divorced. So, you know, trying to figure that situation out. But we were fine. We were got along, you know. I thought everything was how it was supposed to be. Later, knowing more about boundaries and what's good for kids and stuff, I realized now that it wasn't that healthy. But at the time, I felt like, cool, we get along. That's the most important thing. Like, he, me and my ex get along, and we both love our kids. Like, what more can I ask for? Um... And then I was working and then I was going to school. So I was like uh, going to college. I was getting straight A's. um, And I thought like, wow, okay, I'm really doing good. And, you know, I really wanted to work on myself for a while. So I, you know, tried to stay away from like being super social and like drinking and stuff. Um, So I thought I was like in a good place. And then, you know, lo and behold, you know, this covert narcissist comes into my life and then just kind of derails the whole thing for four years. So I stopped doing good in school. I stopped caring so much about my interactions with other people. I, you know, was separated from my friends and my family. I moved out of town, so nobody really knew what was going on with me. Um, it was really hard on my son because he was in the middle of it. Um, so that was really rough. So when you and I first met, well, when we first started dating again seriously in 2017, I had just, like, literally had just left that relationship. Like, I literally escaped it. <laughs> Because I had a friend who, her family, her husband owned a moving company. And she had known the struggles that I was going through. And she was like, well, this is bullshit. Like, I'm just going to send a moving truck to where you're living. And I'm going to I'm gonna have one of my guys come out, load your shit when he's at work. And we're getting you out of there. Mm. And that's, that's how I left. Mm. Like, I, I would, you know, who knows where I would have be if she didn't help me do that. It would have been really fucking hard. Because one of the hardest things about you know, being in an abusive relationship is leaving because they always have their, like, manipulation tactics. So I had tried to leave many times. It just, you know, I always get convinced to stay for some dumb reason. (laughs) So I had left that, and then you and I started hanging out, like, two months later. Mm. Yeah, so it was really fresh. It was really raw. Um, But, you know, everything happens for a reason. That's kind of where I was at. And I was still drinking, but I had known that I needed to stop drinking during that relationship so i had slowed down a lot so when you and i first started dating i was like in my i don't drink that much era (laughs) (laughs) still drinking just not drinking that much yeah so when did you seek out the rooms of aa yes yeah aa is my room of choice (laughs) um i uh well i mean I started hanging out with you, so, um, cause you were like five months clean when I think you and I started hanging out. Yeah. Five or six months. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I remember celebrating your six months together. So, um, and hanging out with you 
uh, was definitely a huge change. Um, hanging out with somebody who didn't drink at all. Um, you know, not doing drugs was like whatever. I wasn't doing drugs, but like hanging out with somebody who wasn't drinking was different. Um, and you were like on house arrest for a big chunk of that time. So couldn't really go anywhere. So that actually, I don't know, that might have made things easier. So it's not, we were going to restaurants and I was having to like not order drinks with my meals or whatever. So hanging out with you definitely changed that. So I think I hung out with you for, let's see, March, four months. And then I decided to go into the rooms. Um, I mean, I tell you this all the time, like seeing the you be able to do it and like change your life. And the fact that it wasn't just because you weren't drinking, like you were actually trying to be like a better person, like look at yourself, like where you are fucking up in your life not just like towards like your friends and your family or your kids but like actually looking in the mirror and trying to see like what's wrong with me like am i codependent am i insecure am i you know this or that and like i thought that was so brave i remember hanging out with you one time and we're just talking about it and i was like yeah fuck that I would never be able ever like nobody i would never be able to do that heck no and you're like oh okay <laughs> <laughs> noted <laughs> yes right <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, a few months later, I didn't even tell you about it. I just went to a, a meeting and I figured, uh, I think in that meeting is when I said that I was an alcoholic. I introduced myself as a newcomer, um, because I kept hearing in other rooms, like the similarities between my story and theirs. Cause I had this picture in my head of what I thought an alcoholic was. And I just didn't fit that. I was like, I'm not, I can't be an alcoholic because I don't drink like this or I don't drink like that. My drinking, in my mind, was normal. And my drinking was very special and it was unique. And, like, <laughs> nobody else drank like me. Um, I had a plan. And, I mean, that's just, like, the lies that alcohol tells us. Like, I just loved being drunk. Well, I loved being buzzed. Don't get me wrong. And that's the only way I could like really function or feel like myself. And I realized that that wasn't, that wasn't going to last forever. Like I just, I couldn't keep that up, even though I really fucking wanted to. Like I remember literally telling my sister, like if I could just be slightly buzzed all the time, like, oh man, that would be the fucking dream. And like, I sincerely meant it like with my whole heart. And she was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I didn't even like, that didn't even sound crazy to me. Like that sounded like a great time. Like that did not sound wild at all. And like now knowing like what, like that's wild, like to just like want to be buzzed all the time. Cause I felt like that was like my most fun, but you know, obviously not as I've learned through my many years of not drinking that it wasn't all fun. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, alcoholic in me relates to that quite well. <laughs> I think everywhere I went, I tried to be buzzed or at least bring it with me. So yeah. I'm very used to that um, train of thought. But um, so you got to the rooms. What was the hardest thing for you to change? Like, obviously, the goal is to stop drinking. But was that the hardest thing or what? what did you find the most difficult once you were in the rooms and started working the program? Um, there was a couple things that were hard. Like, actually, like, you know, writing down the things that I had done wrong, like the things, the people I had wronged or the things that, situations that I played huge parts in going wrong, that was really hard just to, like, see it all written out, like, all your fuck-ups in black and white, that was really hard. Um, but the actual, like, action of, like, what part of, like, changing my life was hard was probably, like, 
being able to admit I was wrong within like minutes almost of when I did something wrong. Like, you know, now I know if I do something wrong, like I can apologize for it or correct my action like immediately. And before I would like, uh, oops, shouldn't have said that, walk away, scurry away. And then hopefully that person forgets. And then I'll talk to them in a few weeks and everything will be fine. So now I know, I know better now. Um, but the actually taking that like as a concept and actually making sure that I was actually doing it was really, really hard. Um, and I feel like now I feel like I have this like outside, outside, um, uh, like my conscience is so much louder now. So when I, in my head, I feel like if there's something that's being left unsaid, like I can't leave it unsaid. Mm -hmm. It's not always the right thing, but I'd rather leave things said and then deal with that instead of unsaid. Because it's usually, like, positive things. Like, you know, one of the kids annoyed me, and I said something, or I snapped at them, or, you know, I did something wrong, and I feel bad about it. The old me would just be like, eh, whatever. They're kids. They'll get over it. But now I'm just like, that was fucked up. I need to go apologize. I need to go make that right, like, within minutes. Um, and I used to, you know, when I was younger, I my siblings used to always make fun, like, oh, Claudia can never admit she's wrong. She can never admit she's wrong. And I was, like, who I was. And it's just like, God, what an ugly person. Like, what an ugly, like, character trait to never mm -hmm. be able to say that you're wrong. And now I feel it's, like, being able to admit I'm wrong is, like, one of my favorite things about myself. Yeah, I've um, I've seen that play out in our life and our relationship especially. Like, you know, we have a great marriage. We have a great relationship. But like any other relationship, you have disagreements. You have arguments. But the ability to come back around sooner than later, like don't push it off for days or weeks and not talk about it. You're, you're really good at that coming back around and making it right. So the steps have played out in our relationship wonderfully. And you always call it a, be a better person program. Yeah. Even if there's no alcohol or drugs involved, anybody that works the steps can make their life better. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like one of the things that, everybody should do I mean, we've talked about it like creating a program where anybody can do it but it doesn't have to center i mean there's so many different like anonymous programs like you know overeaters anonymous um i don't know what else there is Gam gambling oh yeah anonymous. gambling yeah all kinds of vices that you can have and there's an anonymous for it but like some people you can either go find out figure you know really hone in and figure out what your vice is or um you know, just figure out if you have enough people around you telling you that telling you you're an asshole or you're a piece of shit, you probably need <laughs> to reevaluate yourself. <laughs> yeah, those are the uh, crude ways of telling you you need to go work on yourself. Or my favorite are the people who think that everybody else around them is the asshole. Mm, those are my, they're, they're those are my the favorites. Problem. They're the problem. <laughs> yes. Um, I want to go back to something you had mentioned earlier, um, speaking about your relationship before you we started dating again mm -hmm. you had mentioned they were a narcissist mm -hmm. and i too was in a narcissistic abusive relationship mm -hmm. so you know it takes some time to get away from a relationship like that yeah but when we get some distance and get to look back we get a little bit of clarity but i know that sort of trauma and abuse can be very devastating to your next relationship yeah so what did you do to help you with dealing with that trauma and that uh, situation. 
Um, well, the hardest and the first step was to just stop drinking because that wasn't going to help. I mean, that was one of my big coping mechanisms when I was in that relationship where I would just get drunk and figure it out. Um, and for us, you know, when you and I first met, um, we, well, when we first started dating that time, I guess I should say, um, I really, when we started to get to know each other, I really felt like we had something special and I didn't want to fuck it up. Like I would like, okay, I have to do what it takes to, for this relationship. Cause I don't want to fuck it up. Like this is a good man. Like he's good to me and we have something special. Like the bond and like the chemistry that you and I had was just like, okay, I really don't want to fuck this up. So I was pretty much willing to do anything. And, but I also knew that I couldn't do anything for you. I had to do it for myself. Mm. So, um, I, I, started going to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I started doing the 12 steps. That was a big game changer for me. Um, seeing my role in that and then trying to figure out like how to deal with my trauma from the past. I came to a place of acceptance um, on a lot of things, but some of it I was just still mad about. Like I was just, I just didn't understand why I had to go through that because I started to learn that you know, God puts you in certain places. God puts people in your life and in certain situations. I just couldn't figure out why would I have to go through that? Like, that was like, what origin story was that? Like, <laughs> like I don't, I didn't understand the character arc that God <laughs> had for me with that. You know, I was like, fuck, man, I was doing so good. And then boom, four years wasted. Like, I just mm. felt like it was a complete waste of time. Learn nothing, you know. So I thought. And then after that, after some years of like doing, you know, working the steps and working with my sponsor, I started going into uh, therapy. So I see my therapist pretty often. Oh, depending... hold, hold on. Sorry. No, I am going to yes. interrupt. But what made you go find a therapist? Like oh, okay. some people don't like it doesn't just one day they're like, I need therapy and they go to therapy. Like, yeah, you're working with a sponsor, but there was something that happened either inside or like somebody mentioned it. Like what made you go seek out a therapist? Do you remember? I was having a lot of panic attacks at night. Uh, I was waking up into the panic attack. And when I started seeing a therapist and kind of just going over all the like stuff that I'd been through, um, some of it was trauma. But I think I I can't pinpoint like what conversation or what happened because I wanted to go to therapy for a long time because I'd always heard that it would help. Um, my, my sponsor recommended it. Um, she was like, you know, I'm not a professional. Um, you might want to, you know, make that part of your recovery arsenal, have a sponsor, go to meetings, get a therapist. Um, and for me, I needed medication cause I suffer from anxiety, um, pretty badly. So I think that was the push, like the push was my sponsor basically saying like, you're too fucked up for me. Go get some help. <laughs> <laughs> See, you are special. I am special. <laughs> even in recovery, even in sobriety, you're special. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the only one who needs therapy. I think we all do. <laughs> <laughs> but that's uh, that's like, like just that moment. Like I'm in therapy too, so I know when I needed it and when to seek it out. But yeah. it's just always interesting to me that like when I talk to other people or like hear their stories, like at what point did therapy become something where they were like, okay, I need to go get it. So mm -hmm. that's just, that's why I asked the question. Yeah. I think mental health started to become more of a, um, I just kind of surrendered to the fact that I didn't know everything about mental health. I didn't understand how the brain worked enough. 
Um, I was having panic attacks. I was having a lot of anxiety and I took a, an anxiety like informational class. It was like a six week course or something at Kaiser. Um, and that taught me like the, the physical, um, aspect of it, of what's literally going on in your brain when you have anxiety and when you're having panic attacks. So that was really helpful. And then that kind of segued into like actually starting to see a therapist one-on-one. Cause it was like a group setting. So, um, so did you go into that therapy with specific things that you wanted to work on or did you kind of just ease into the bigger picture? Like, I know you knew that like you had past stuff that you wanted to deal with. Did you jump right in or was it a transition? Well, like the first few sessions, it's like getting to know each other and getting to know their story. But yeah, they did you know, they ask you what you want to, why do you want to go to therapy? And then they connect you with somebody who specializes in whatever it is. And I, you know, my, my, um, original plan, I guess I should say was, you know, I was in this abusive relationship because I didn't realize that it was abusive when I was in it. Like, I just thought he was a dick. Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't realize like that it was like an actual, like there was a, there was so many things seriously wrong with the relationship. I didn't realize it until I left. And one of my best friends actually told me, um, like that shit's not healthy, you know? that's that's not okay yeah normal relationship normal healthy relationship yeah so i went into therapy to talk about that and to figure that out but there were so many more things that just came up because there were so many things that i had never talked about or never dealt with or i was too embarrassed about um i didn't have anybody else to talk about you know i've been through a lot of things that um just are ugly things that you don't really want to share or share with your partners. I mean, you and I have an open relationship now where like the communication is really good and you know about all the stuff that I've been through. But in the beginning, like, you know, you don't really share that with people and you are the biggest commitment I've ever made to anyone in my life. Like, yeah, I'd been married before, but even going into that marriage in my head that day, I was like, well, if this doesn't work out. We'll just get divorced. Like no big deal. Like I always figured I'd be a stepmom, you know? <laughs> um, so, being able to have that open communication with you and just having that like level of vulnerability um was is is why you and I are able to talk about these kinds of things. Yeah. Um and that's that's one of the things that like I feel like makes a healthy marriage healthy is the mm. open open mindedness, willingness, you know, the the intimacy and and the vulnerability especially as a man yeah. a lot of times we tend to not be able to open up but yeah i learned a lot of that from you and watched you go to therapy and what well, i've seen the growth that's come out of it in your life and our relationships and just the relationship with my kids with your son with me like the whole family gets to benefit from it which is amazing yeah and, that's true um it also teaches and shows our uh, sons that sometimes you need help and sometimes you need to seek help. Mm-hmm. So, um, I was, uh, wanted to ask you about, you had also touched on leaving Cruz's dad and the, you, you always figure you'd be a stepmom, but, <laughs> um, what was it like for you when it came time to the adoption um, aspect for me to adopt your son started coming up. Mm. What were some of the feelings and emotions and just your whole perspective on that? Um, when the topic first came up, it was very, it was very cruise led. 
um, he was having a lot of issues um, with his relationship with his biological dad and feelings of abandonment, um, a lot of anxiety, panic attacks. Um, it got really bad for a while, um, mostly because his dad like wasn't consistent um, in his life whatsoever. And, you know, I paid, I played my role in that too, because I never put my foot down and was like, no, this is when you see him, this, you know, I just felt like, oh yeah, the door's open, come on, whenever. Um, you know, and you were a big part of that too, because, you know, you're letting my ex-husband come into our home to stay with his son, sleep, you know, he slept here, he, we shared meals, <laughs> like, you know, I felt like we were doing all the right things, but at some point, if a child's father doesn't prioritize seeing them over, you know, social events or whatever it is, you know, I don't want to trash talk him because at the end of the day, I think he did what was best for Cruz by letting him be adopted by you because that, w that was not easy. You know, I, and I never doubted that he loved his kid. He just couldn't be there in the way that his kid needed him to be. Um, so, you know, I have a lot of respect for him for actually letting him be adopted by you. Um, because it could have been really ugly. We could have taken him, you know, and it could have been worse uh, situation, but I think he did the right thing. And when the situation came about, Cruz was just, you know, Cruz had, has always, always leaned towards you for to be his dad. Like the day that we moved into the, our house together and we first moved in together as a family, he asked if he could call you dad now. Like that was like the first thing. And like that was... It was so sweet and like magical and a part of me just felt so sad for him but also excited like i felt like oh my gosh he feels the connection with matthew but then i was like this poor kid is just like he really just needs a dad and he really is looking for one and it made me happy that he found one in you and that was really beautiful um and then so then the talks of like separating him from his biological dad giving them some space we started taking cruiser therapy um and I don't, I can't remember like where the adoption word came from, but Cruz was probably like seven or eight at this time. So it wasn't like a crazy concept. And, um, so he had mentioned it. He talked about you being his dad and my emotions with it were, it was such a mixed bag because mm -hmm. it, it felt like it was saying goodbye to his past and it was exciting because he was saying hello to a new future. Um, a future that he'd never had before. He never experienced that. You know, me and his dad split when Cruz was like nine months old. Um, and even then, like, you know, he was traveling so much for skateboarding. And and I was just at home with the baby by myself in a different state. So, you know, it's a whole other story. But, <laughs> um, you know, having that conversation with Cruz, like actually having like, so how would you feel? And trying to get him to understand like how serious it was. And he was just so juiced. Yes, yes, I would love that. He's my dad. And then we talked to the therapist about it and, you know, they had conversations and she um, described, you know, Cruz, Cruz describing that you were the dad that he was supposed to have, that mm -hmm. he was meant to have. So I was excited, but it was, it was really heavy because a part of me wanted that for Cruz, but then it kind of made me, you know, you and I were already married at this point. So, you know, I already... You know, you and I had already committed to each other for a lifetime, but this was like a different level of commitment because if something happened to us, Cruz would still be in your custody. Like if you and I split up, he would still have visitation with you. So then I'd be sharing him with another man again. And that was just like a wild concept to me because I was like, okay, like I don't think we're ever going to get divorced, but like we can't tell the future. 
and it was kind of scary like going into it i won't lie like okay i'm gonna sign this paperwork and he's his dad and what if we break up now i have to like send him off to him oh gosh like <laughs> and that was scary but it was also good like i had to think of like the okay if that happened is that is this still the right thing for Cruz? and i still felt like it was like even if you and i split he still needed a dad he still needed a good dad and i felt like he had that in you and he still wanted and he would still want to be with his brothers so mm -hmm. like this also like solidified like their relationship so um at the end of the day it was i knew what kind of a man you were and i had high hopes for the relationship that you and Cruz were going to have and that you guys were going to develop and I knew what kind of a child Cruz was. And I felt like Cruz needed you, but I also felt like you needed Cruz. Because Cruz is not like your other sons. He's a lot, a lot more sentimental. He's a lot more sensitive. He's not as, you know, he was raised by a girl. So for most of his life, by, by himself. And because nobody else, like any relationship that I had been in, I mean, I'd only been in like, you know, my marriage and then that serious relationship. Nobody else really fathered him. Like... Mm. They might think that they fathered them. <laughs> they weren't real fathers. They homied him. They homied him for sure. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I mean, it was it was a lot. It was a lot of emotions. And looking back on it now, it's been five years since the adoption, or no, was since... that thing? no, it was in twenty twenty. Three years. Three. Yeah, and no regrets. No, no regrets yet. Um, <laughs> I mean, he he needed that, and I think our family needed that because that was kind of like the ribbon on the pr on the package. Because at that point, it was you had your two, I had Cruz, and then we shared Bubby already. He was already born. Yeah. So like Bubby definitely like brought us together, very close. But having Cruz now, they're all I mean, we're all Whitakers in the house. Like that was pretty amazing. It yeah. Was just a special day too. I mean, it was really um, transformative for our family. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah I, I'm still uh, amazed that they allowed me to adopt him. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> Just with my record, which you guys heard some of it on the last episode, but um, yeah. that was a miracle in itself. But um, he was—he kind of foreshadowed it all happening because he used to write our last name oh on his right. uh, <laughs> schoolwork before that's he right. was—it was oh even official. God. His teachers would uh, ask us, what, who, what is this last name he's using? Yeah, I totally forgot about that. You're right. It was uh, so cute. Because he'd write, he'd write his name and he'd spell Whitaker and it was all wrong. It was like no H, one T, sometimes no E. And his teacher, I remember his teacher was like, hey, did you guys change Cruz's name? And I was like, what the fuck <laughs> is she talking about? And I was like, no. So like, he was writing this on his paperwork. And I was like, oh my gosh. Well, my husband... And I got married, so like my last name is now Whitaker. And how to explain that? And she's like, okay, that makes more sense because he kept saying that his mom is married now, so now he's now this is his last name. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if that's how that works, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so cute. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's always been his destiny, I think, to be your son. Well, I'm uh, super glad I was the one to be able to fill his destiny <laughs> <laughs> and uh, continue growing our relationship and continue being the father that he wanted and uh, still needs yeah so, for sure um you had we had mentioned my two children so um you are now their stepmom but you're more than that obviously you're just mom to them <laughs> um what has it been like taking on that role in totality and what were some of 
some of the struggles and some of the like the highs or the joys well from the beginning I've they've always had like a soft spot in my heart like when I found out what your you and your ex's custody schedule was it would just boggled my mind because these kids had to wake up at three o'clock in the morning to switch houses because they were sleeping at your house. You had to go to work, they had to go to their mom's house. And then they were sitting at a bar because she didn't have a babysitter or wouldn't get one. So they were sitting at her bar for hours until you got off work, which sometimes would run over. And these kids were just like going from place to place, waiting around, waiting for somebody to pick them up. And it just fucking broke my heart. So from the get, I just felt like this, like, I mean, I don't know, maybe as a mom, it's just like a natural inclination to like, want to be there for some kids but like a part of me always knew I think that you and I were forever which meant that these kids were going to be forever so um I didn't want to see that happening anymore um so when you and I decided to live together that was one of the first things that like we changed like I had a pretty great job working for the bank I was literally having a conversation with my boss about getting promoted and what I did instead was asking if I could take less hours because <laughs> I needed to watch my boyfriend's kids. Like, <laughs> if looking back on that, like, if you and I didn't end up where you were, I'd be like, what the fuck <laughs> is she thinking? Like, this crazy ass bitch. Like, you're committing way too much, you know? Um, but I, I don't know. I guess I guess I, I'll, I always knew where it was going to end up. So. So then I always felt like really close to them, obviously, um, not just like the doing stuff for them, but just like being there for them because, you know, physically being there with the kids is not the same as like actually being there for them emotionally. So like, you know, I'm very in tune with crews. We talk about our feelings. We talk about what's going on, our emotions. We talk about tidbits of the day. So I did that the same thing with your kids. So as time has gone on, like we've, we, our relationship has, has evolved into something different and like kind of each of their age groups like when I first got to know them I was just like their dad's girlfriend and I was just like a female presence in their life like nothing serious we started to live together and you and I had these like you know merging meetings of like how are we going to parent these kids like they're all in the same house how are we going to do this if not it's going to be a clusterfuck so then they saw me as more of like a mom role which was really hard for them because they had a mom they already had a mom, but I was a mom in this house. And I, it was very difficult for me to make rules or, you know, set expectations for my son and then the other two not get anything. So we really had to, like, align expectations around the whole house. And then with that, you know, they started to learn a lot of, about responsibility because now they had chores that they had to do. Now they had manners that were expected of them. I mean, these kids were wild animals when I first met them. <laughs> and we joke about this all the time because they weren't just like, you know, and I and I say that like lovingly, wild animals. They were just not like my son. My son was totally different. And I didn't realize how different from other boys he was until I met your boys. Um, they, you know, they fought. And I just thought that was so crazy. And like now I know that that's just normal boy behavior. Mm. But my son didn't do that. And I was like, what is happening here? Like, these kids are actually <laughs> fighting and arguing and wrestling and, like, wrestling in the house. Oh, my God. And, like, burping at the table. Ugh. You know? Like, all these, like, <laughs> crazy, like, normal boy things that I just couldn't even fathom because my kid didn't do that. Um, so then as they've gone older, like, yes, I became more of a mom. And now that they're getting to, like, these teenage years, I feel like I'm, I'm more, I've taken a step back from, like, doing the mothering because they know what's expected of them now. They know what to do. They know our routines in the house. They know what the expectations are for their grades, their schoolwork, 
um, their attention to their schoolwork, the things that they need to do around the house, the helping of the family, the supporting of the family, the communication that we are expecting from them, the honesty that we're expecting from them. So like the expectations and they are already aligned. They already know what they're supposed to be doing. So I feel like at this age where they're in this pre-adulthood, this teenage phase, we've shifted more to like being being more of like a guide or like a mentor because i don't feel the need to have to like mother them so much anymore Mm -hmm. um i just feel the need to just like support them like they're going through their shit they know i'm here because i i've proven to them over the last seven years that i'm here for them and i listen to them and i i ask open-ended questions like simple shit like that that you know they don't really always get and having those conversations just allows me to be there for them so like now because of the trust that I've built over the last seven years, now at this stage, it's more like, hey, mom, I think I want to ask this girl out. What do you think? Hmm. Or mom, can I help you with dinner? Or can you teach me how to cook? Or can you teach me how to sew? Or like these random things that they just like want help with. Or like, hey, can you look over my English paper? Sure. Like I'm just here like a support person to like love them and support them and anything they need. Like they know me now and they know what they can expect from me. And I feel like I've been more of like the solid in their life because when you and I um, started to get really serious we decided that I was going to stay home with the kids so they're used to seeing me every single day and me being the literal support person in their life and you know all of that has has worked its way out into what we have now which is I think a really beautiful solid friendship with them with the respect of like yes she's she's our mom like they've called me mom for a long time because I never liked them calling me by my name. I always thought that was rude. <laughs> so I went from Claudia to B because we liked B for bonus mom. Because I didn't like stepmom. Um, and they called me B for probably a couple years. Mm-hmm. And then Bubby came. And then Bubby was calling me mom. And just it just shifted. And I've been mom ever since. Yeah. Just a good honor. Yeah, I've seen you come into their life and play such an important role. Especially as they went from... Um, elementary grade school children through junior high and high school and they're in that phase that you're talking about where they don't need so much mothering Um, but I have been here through the whole journey um, (laughs) and watched you help me and support me through dealing with their mom and my narcissistic abuser Mm -hmm. so just from your perspective what, what was that like and what is that possibly still like Oh, well, it's probably been one of my biggest challenges um, in this part of our lives. And um, just seeing and recognizing a lot of the things that she did or does um, for my past relationship, that's kind of where I finally found out, like, why I had to go through that relationship. Because when I started to see the similarities in my previous abusive relationship, starting to see it happening in to you, to me, again to me, and then to the boys, um, is when I really, really came to like the realization of like, ah, that's why I had to go through that. Because now I knew so much about narcissism that it helped me, um, it helped me help you and it's helped us together help the boys now because they're now aware of their mom's mental health conditions. Um, seeing all of the abuse play out in in the kids' lives, 
was so different from seeing it in yours because I felt like, you know, for an adult man to be dealing with these issues, um, it, it just brought me to like my past and being you in the same situation. Like just let them deal with what they do. Let them have their tantrum or whatever it is and just like try to be calm and like, you know, you were for your, for you, you were conditioned to that relationship and that lifestyle for like 10 years. You know, I was not that it's any like less abusive, but like I was already an adult and I was only four years. You were a teenager and it was 10 years. So I just felt like sometimes I would see the way that you reacted to like some of the just the atrocious things you would say or do. And you would just be like, just ignore it. Just move on. Like, why stress about it? But it was almost like, like in a sad way, because I felt like in my, in my mind, it was like she was attacking like a young child. And I don't mean to like, you know, insult you in any way. I know you and I have talked about this before. So I know like, I know it's not insulting, but for anybody who's listening, like, I don't mean that in like a mean way or a degrading way. It just felt like seeing like a big dog attacking a smaller dog, like, she just turned into this vile person and you were just so calm and like cool and like you wouldn't like you know you wouldn't whimper or anything away you would just like stand there deal with it and then you just turn around and like okay and then so then you and i started to really learn about boundaries and like how can we create boundaries in this relationship because what i learned about narcissism is you just fucking cut this person off hmm. run away just yeah. go the other way we didn't have that luxury because there's kids involved yeah so, so you- for you have to do it yeah you have to deal with them so you do what you exactly so then we had to learn how to deal with narcissism and narcissists and you know we there's so many resources online but really having each other as a support was huge you know we had to learn about gray walk gray rock and and yellow rock which is different types of responses and how you can communicate with narcissists um different phrases that you can use that eliminate the emotion um, you guys went on email only communication, which you didn't even know you could do. Like I introduced that. Um, there was just so much of, from my past relationship that I feel like I brought into this relationship as like education on what was going wrong in that with, with, with her. And now you and I are using everything that we've learned over the last several years for the kids, because unfortunately they're not, you know, they're, they know what's going on now. They don't, there's no secrets. You know, we, you and I kept it a secret for a long time. We would never use the N word. We would never say narcissism in our house. We never would even like try to drop seeds. That was none of our business. The kids are going to see what they're going to see. And they're going to learn what they're going to learn in their due time. And now that they're at the age where like they're seeing it, now we can help them by supporting them, you know, talking about the situation and trying to help them to see what healthy um, communication looks like and healthy coping mechanisms and then getting them into therapy. So yeah, that's been, I mean, and even all of that doesn't really grasp it. I mean, it's stressful. I'm not going to lie. It's really stressful. It breaks my heart to see the way she treated you for a long time, the kids. And it like just broke my heart. Like I really felt like, I, I know I'm not the nicest person. I'm not the perfect person, but like, I really did my best. Like I really had dreams of like having this beautiful blended family with each side of the kids, other parents all doing things together. Like let's have the joint birthday parties. Let's do this. Let's do that. Like, Hey, let's all go to the pumpkin patch. Like, and it just, it's never going to happen. And it took me years to really accept that because I really, 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 really wanted it. I wanted it so bad. And not just for me, like I didn't, who cares about me? It was for the kids. Like they deserve to have both their parents. So it was really heartbreaking to like see that um, and see how it's played out. 
And for you and I to have accepted that this is just what it is and this is how it's going to be and seeing the hope in the kids that I still, that I had for so many years. And like, I don't want to like dim their hope. Like they need to keep the hope alive because that's their journey, which is what we've learned through their therapist is like, they just have to go through it. And if it's going to be traumatic, that's their trauma. You guys do whatever you can, but you can't protect them from their own mom. You can't separate, you know, this is just going to be part of their, their journey. Um, so as stressful as it's been, it's all been a learning um, experience. It's all things I feel like we're using for the betterment of our kids and then using it to share with other people because I feel like you and I have taught so many people what narcissism looks like and why it's different from just like having a crazy, you know, quote unquote, crazy ex-wife or a crazy ex-girlfriend or baby mama. Um, it, it, yeah, or dad. It's very, very different. Um, yeah, and even that, so many narcissists, they just assume, people just assume it's always a man. Like for a woman to be a narcissist, like sometimes people can't even like understand that. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a wild, wild journey <laughs> and I'm glad that, um, I had to put up, I'm glad that I know better now to put up a, put up boundaries where I've just asked her to not text me anymore. Cause I used to try to like keep her in the loop because as a mom, you really want to be like, okay, well you should really, you should really see this or you should really want to know about this. And if like, she's not asking me for anything, like, why am I sending it? If she doesn't care. And then also like all the really wild things that she would tell the kids about me. Like she told them that I was like a magician and this is so stupid and i know it sounds so wild but she actually told them that and you remember this that i was um brainwashing yes that i was brainwashing them because i was i was a magician because i worked in the bank and i knew how to like use your sales tactics or something or something oh my god it was so crazy (laughs) um so i just you know like all the stuff that you say and you've said about me and like you trash talk me and you run my name through the mud and i'm just all i've done is love your kids I've literally, that's it. I've loved your kids. I've been there for them. I take them to the doctors. I kiss the boo-boos. I brush the teeth. I cuddle with them in bed. And like now as they're getting older, I'm the one that's taking them to get haircuts. The doctors to talking, having the talks with them with you, like, and all you can do is trash talk me. Like, it's just, you know, I had to put that boundary up and just say like, please just do not contact me anymore. If you have any questions, you can email me about it. Cause she, she can only email me now. It wasn't court ordered, but that just asked her to do that. So, um, you know, we have, we've had to set up those those crazy boundaries to keep our own mental health um in a good place yeah and uh you dealt with all of that in sobriety yeah i couldn't imagine what well i can imagine what it's like (laughs) an active addiction because i did it but for you especially because it's not your ex it's mine Mm -hmm. having to deal with that in yeah uh your drinking days would have been a nightmare. Yeah. But um, speaking of drinking days, and most of the things that we've talked about today have been about what your life is like sober. Um, I know what your hardest thing you've had to deal with in sobriety is, but mm-hmm. can you tell yeah. our audience the hardest thing that you've had to go through sober? I'm going to try not to cry. Uh Six months ago, my dad died. Very unexpectedly. Man, I really didn't think I was going to cry. Just like saying that out loud. Yeah. It's going to be a while until you say that out loud without crying. Yeah. So, So, um, and I didn't drink. Um, I've been sober for six years, and I celebrated six years in july 
and dad died in May. So, um, and it was wild because when I got the news that dad had passed, um, the first thing I thought of was tequila. Like, I just want to drink. Um, and it's interesting because that wasn't even my drink of choice. I don't know, maybe it was because it was dad's, you know, his go-to um, drink when he celebrated. Um, that was my first thought. Literally, like, before I even had a chance to, like, think about you or the kids or life without dad, like, I was thinking about drinking already. Because I just wanted to, like, numb the pain because I just felt like, um, I mean, my world literally shattered, you know. We live next we live next door to dad and um we saw him every day and the kids saw him every day and um it wasn't one of those deaths of a family member where like you could just forget and just oh they're just they're just at home and um but now every day i'm reminded every day because he lived next door you know, his car not being there or when his car was there after he passed away his work truck was still there like it not moving or <laughs> or when it did move it was because somebody else moved it not him or or whatever um so the day that he died that was like not drinking that day was one of the hardest because literally our house was flooded my dad was so loved our house was flooded with people and everybody brought beer or food or utensils or tequila. Um, or tequila. <laughs> there was a lot of bottles of tequila. Um, and I didn't drink. And that night as the sun started to go down and everybody was gathering in the garage and drinking and, um, you know, dealing with the death in their own way, you and I went to an AA meeting. And I just sat there and cried. And I shared that my dad had just died this morning. And all I wanted to do was drink. And I had a lot of support from everybody there. Um, people I just met that day still text me to this day just to see how I'm doing. Um, I just wanted any kind of release from the pain that I was feeling. Because I just felt like I couldn't go on without him. So the fact that I... I didn't pick up that day and I haven't picked up any day after so far is one of my biggest accomplishments in sobriety because um, I know that drinking isn't going to bring my dad back and I know that if I had started drinking feeling as shitty as I felt I wasn't going to be able to stop drinking and my grandpa was there when my dad when my dad died and there was no way I was going to drink in front of him because he's been our biggest, one of our biggest supporters in sobriety. Um, and he's so proud of us for not drinking because this drinking is just like the norm in our family and he doesn't drink either. And he even went to AA meetings when he was young. He's been so sober for like 30 odd years now, maybe even more. Um, and I just remember thinking after leaving that AA meeting that um, I was going to be okay. I wasn't going to drink. And just walking through the steps and like, not like the AA steps, but just like literally playing the tape through okay. Let's say I did drink right now. 
um what are the consequences of that okay i'm gonna feel good hopefully for a little bit but then i'm gonna feel really fucking shitty because i just threw away my six years i'm gonna feel at the time five years i'm going to feel embarrassed tomorrow i'm not gonna be able to like look my mom in the face and i'm gonna be able to look my grandpa in the face and like and is that what dad would have wanted? You know, not that I believe that you need to dictate your life off of what your dead relatives would do or say, <laughs> but, you know, I really wanted to be there for my family. And I have, I ha I was there. And I can say that with full confidence because, you know, it was hard for my siblings. There's six of us, but there was only one person writing the eulogy. There was only one person making the slideshows. There was only one person planning the funeral, you know, me and my mom, I should say. Um, and I, I... I did it and I still do it every day. Um, you know, I'd be lying if I if I said I didn't think about wine every once in a while. Um, but now I I know that wine isn't going to fix my sadness. Um, nothing is going to fix my sadness except for working on myself. Um, thinking about the good times I've had with my dad and staying in gratitude. That's one of the big things I learned in sobriety is just being grateful because Everything happens for a reason. I mean, we always knew it was a miracle that we were able to rent the house next door to my parents. Just that in itself, it became available. It was a house that was a rental. It became available when we were looking <laughs> for a place to live. And the circumstances that I ca that came about were just insane anyway. And all the help that we had to make that rental happen so we can live next door to my parents and we live next door to them for five years and then we were actually able to buy this house so now we're committed to staying here next to mom and dad so then it was just such a blessing that we were able to live here and i didn't work so i got to see my dad when he came home like i got to greet dad when he came home from work and i got to greet you when you came home from work and the kids got to do all that stuff and I have no regrets. Like, I, I know so many people who, when their parents pass, they think, oh, I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have done this. And my only regret was that I wish I would have made my amends to my dad face-to-face -face, um, because I had to make them to his dead body. Um, and that was really hard. But I know that... And I know my dad. My dad would have been like, it's fine. You don't have to tell me anything. He would have been like, okay, thank you. We talked about it enough. Like, okay, bye, bye, bye. Um... He would have said that I already showed him. Hmm. He would have said that I already showed him that I was sorry. Um, and my mom, you know, confirmed that too. And she said, we know. We already know. And, I, and, she, and she kept trying to get me to stop talking. <laughs> and I was like, I know, That's mom. how this works, mom. Yeah. I was like, but it's not, mom, if you don't need it, I need I need to do this. Just let me get it out. And she told me the same thing. She said, your dad knew. He knew. We saw it. We've seen how your life has changed. We, you, we see that you're here for us. We know. It's okay. And I told my dad I loved him every single day. Every single day. And I hugged him goodbye every single day. And even the last day that he was alive, the last time I saw him, he was cooking tacos and we're all hanging out in the backyard next door. And it got late and I was tired and the baby was tired and dad was in the shower. And I just thought, dang it, dad, why does it go take a shower now? And he needs to go by. Give you a kiss and tell you I love you. And I was thought, I'll see him tomorrow. And, you know, I didn't see him tomorrow. But for some people, that would break their fucking heart to not have said goodbye. But it doesn't. Like, I, I got I got a thousand other goodbyes. Hmm. 
like I, I missed the one who knows maybe that was meant for something I don't know but I don't have any regrets I had a great I had a great relationship with him and at least over the last five years there was like a 15 year hiatus or it wasn't so great but I know that he still loved me and still supported me and just seeing me get sober was probably one of you know one of his greatest joys and seeing the family that we've made flourish over the last seven years being sober through that I feel like if I can be sober through that I can be sober through anything but don't test me God <laughs> don't test me <laughs> I don't know not right now give me some time yeah I feel like I barely survived that I mean I'm still dealing with it it's it's been six months I constantly have to remind myself that it just happened hmm. but but days or weeks or even a month without your dad feels like a year yeah um and you know i i watched some i walked with you daily through that this whole process i still do um and you did all the right things you leaned on your support system which lucky for you you have one as your yeah. partner well some people don't have that yeah. Um, you have a sponsor, you have the rooms, you've made enough connections, you know that there's people when things like this happen in life, you cherished and valued your sobriety enough to go and get the help that you needed. Yeah. And that's one of the main reasons or one of the main, um, yeah, one of the main reasons for a fellowship. But, um, I also know that you... In your family, like you said, it's, there's a lot of drinking in your family, and there's a lot of people that look to you as the beacon of hope that if somebody they knew that used to drink can get sober and flourish and live this type of life, there may be some hope for them. So I'm super proud of you for being that person for your family. Thank you. I don't think I've ever been described as a beacon of hope. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> That's yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> but um, with that, that being said, um, we'll wrap it up here. But um, what advice would you give to somebody that's struggling right now? That's looking for help. Um, where, what would you, a couple steps you give them or just some, some sort of uh, advice? Well, if you're struggling with drinking, it's never too late to stop. And you won't change as much as you think that you will. One of my hardest um, realizations was that, or I thought that I was going to be a totally different person, and I'm not. I'm the same person, if not better, um, if not maybe more fun than I was before. Um, if you're struggling with being a stepmom, it gets better. Um, I it gets better in a sense of in every sense. If you stick with it, if you seek the guidance and the help of other women who have struggled with having a relationship with their stepchildren or the exes or just the fact that you're raising kids that you did not birth. Stick with it. Just do everything that you're doing out of a place of love because there is no going back if you do it from a different place. Um, and it's parenting. Remember that. They will forgive you. There are ways to get past it and to grow from it. Um, 
just don't give up on those kids because you might be the best thing in their lives and you might not know it yet. Um, for anyone who is struggling with narcissism, if you might be in a relationship with someone or were uh, are dealing with your husband's ex who's a narcissist, um, follow any advice that you see on, I can, we can link some of the resources that I used on this podcast episode. Um, you can hit me up on Instagram. Um, there are so many resources out, resources out there that you can use, um, to help you depending on what situation you're in. If you are in a relationship with one and it's not serving you, you deserve better. Get out, find happiness. If you are stuck in a relationship with one because they're your kid's parent or your husband's ex and they're their parent, whatever that situation may be, boundaries, 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 find the boundaries, establish the boundaries, make them clear and stick to the boundaries. That is the only thing that I can testify to that is going to save your mental health and your marriage because this shit can get really, really dark and you just never know how it's going to affect the kid. So put out those boundaries, keep them up. And anybody who's just struggling in general with any of this stuff or any other topics, just keep going. Um, one of my favorite things is that everything that we go through in life, whether it's good or bad, is it's just a season. It's not going to last forever. Um, any situation that you may be in, remember that in happy moments, it's just a season. It's not always going to be that happy. So enjoy it while you can. And if it's not a happy season, remember that it's just a season. You will get to a happy place again. Um, so with that, I leave you. Uh, much love to anybody listening to this. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for opening up to us, being vulnerable. Uh, those are some words of wisdom there at the end that anybody can take with them. So um, thank you all for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode. Peace out.